0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is the 50th Fireside Chat. That means there's over 150 hours of your questions and Tom's answers uh, that everyone appreciates so much, and that's due to Oliver's server and Justin's editing and uh, sound work. So thank you again to to both of you. Um, Let's get started today with a new guest we have from Brazil. Uh, Celso has a question for you, Tom.
1: Hi. Hello, Tom. Nice to meet you,
2: finally. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, Celso. Thanks for all the work. Thanks for all the work that you did uh, helping uh, Mario uh, translate MBT for the uh, Brazilian Portuguese audience. Yes.
1: Uh, Actually, it's I that must. Thank you, Tom, for all your work, and it's just a, a, a little part um, of it all. Uh, okay, so my, my first my, my question is is about. Sorry, uh, I, I wrote it down. It's a little long, so I have to, to write it down so not to, to forget. So I I read it. I think it's better if I if I read. Okay, uh, so let's let's begin. Uh, have a thought, on in explaining the simulation theory or computational reality theory based, based upon the effects of the gravitational time dil- uh, dilation? Let me explain. Uh, a, a little disclaimer first. I'm not a physicist, so please forgive me if I say something really stupid. <laughs> uh, in computational models or simulation, one has two options when dealing with objects that interact with each other. One giant code loop through all the instance with cal- which, uh, which calculates all values and different object reactions until the object counter is over, so it can back to the beginning and start iteration over again. So we have one tick of the simulation, one, one tick of the time has passed. And the other option is se- separated instance of, of objects which contain in themselves a smaller part of the code that solves the interaction they need to computer their next state, running in different spaces of memory and processing. Uh, in, in other words, one thread by object, one independent time tick for each object. Taking the assumption that our universe is simulated and it's so huge in quantity, in object count, 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 uh, quantity, that the second option seems to make sense When you have to deal with an almost infinite amount of object instances. If each object instance has its own clock, each independent loop through the rule set, the relative time that the object will utterly depend on how many objects it's interacting with in a given delta time. That set, Let's suppose our reality is simulated. I think we we, we should not suppose this, but anyway. Uh, And what is computed deals only with the particles that are, in fact, only independent object instance. Each has its own thread, and everything else emerges from that. Uh, What would happen to the particle, or the probability of the particle? Uh, that must deal with a huge number of other particles, and, and they are, in fact, uh, sorry, uh, compared to particles that has a fewer number of particles to deal with, due to the fact they are in different uh, space locations. Uh, but explaining. A particle or a set of particles surrounding a, a, a small asteroid would have less interactions to compute than the same amount of particles surrounding a planet or a black hole hole and so on. Uh, And the distance of that huge huge amount of objects to to interact with implies directly how fast or slow that object computes its next stage. Uh, That's exactly what happens in gravitational gravitational time dilation effect, which is widely proven and tested by uh, so many years. Uh so do you think that this logic could be used to explain the simulation theory in the macro perspective, not having just to count only on quant- quantum extensions to support our computational universe? Sorry, it's really confusing. <laughs>
2: uh, OK, it. yeah, I follow that uh, reasonably well. Um Let's back up to the biggest picture to begin with. And that is we have the LCS and of course the LCS, the big computer, um, individual units of consciousness, this, this, um, uh, you know, the simulation they're in, these are all, these are all metaphors for things. Okay. These are not necessarily, you know, you think of them as things in and of themselves, these are metaphors that we make up to describe things and to describe the interaction of things and the connections between things. So that's kind of keep that in mind. Um, there are some things like like time dilation and length contraction that are in special relativity that are just an artifact of the fact that speed of light's a constant. And the speed of light being a constant is, Just an artifact of the fact that it's a digital computed reality. Okay. If it's a, if you have a virtual reality, then any virtual reality will have a maximum speed, which is one pixel per, you know, unit time. Now, what you're talking about is talking about the kind of the density of computations required. Okay. And if the density of computations goes up so that you need a whole lot more computations per unit time. Okay. Then there is some idea that that slows the process down. Okay, that makes, that's gonna make the process run slower because it requires more processing. Well, that depends on how fast a computer is and, and, uh, what, you know, how, how much more time does it take to do a lot of them and is that extra time really meaningful? You see, you could have, let's say you are typing and you type just with one finger and that's maybe five words per minute all right that doesn't tax the processor very much that processor has a lot of idle time but then let's say you do uh something uh you know a hundred times faster you know or at least let's make it more reasonable uh if you went five let's say you do it, uh, you know what 12 times faster if i or 60 this is that 60 words per minute well that's five times more processing, but still it doesn't make any difference because the computer's fast enough that that extra five times your typing speed just doesn't make any real difference because it can still do it fast enough that it doesn't create any problems. You see, so then if we can imagine making it a thousand or ten thousand times faster, then, you know, how fast do you have to type? Now, I'm just talking about metaphorically typing. Obviously, people can't type a thousand times faster, but how faster do you have to type before the delay time in your typing starts to cause problems in the processing? Well, eventually, you'll get to a point that the computer isn't quite able to keep up with you. You know, it gets bogged down, and then it makes a problem. But up until that point, there may be a huge range where it really just doesn't matter whether it's five or sixty or a thousand or ten thousand. The computer can keep up with that without even trying hard. You see, so it just depends. To 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 um, posit this idea that um, that gravity is tied to a density of computation. The idea that when things get in a gravitational field, a strong gravitational field, then time goes slower, right? That's a time dilation because of gravity. And that this effect has to do with, with the fact that there's more processing. Well, there's some, there's some assumptions in there, rather big assumptions. And that's that, yes, there is going to be more processing. That's clear. But does it really make a difference? You know, is it, is it really squeezing the system? And then we have to go look at the, pro- at the idea of, this is not just a deterministic system that has to calculate all the details. This is a, this is a, uh, a statistical system, okay? It's a probabilistic based system. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to uh, compute all the details. Matter of fact, if there's that, those particles circling an asteroid out there, If nobody's looking at that asteroid or those particles, it doesn't have to compute anything. Nobody's asking for the information, so there is no computation going on there. Um, If you look at it for just a few minutes or for an hour, then it has to do those computations during that hour, but then it doesn't have to do them anymore, you see, unless somebody looks at it again. So things like that, where you don't have to do computations, you basically just do statistics. So what happens when you look at it and then the next day you look at it again? Does it actually have to do all those computations so that when you look at it again, it'll be in exactly that precise state that it would be in if you continued everything that you saw the day before? You see, no, it doesn't have to do that. It only has to produce a a reality within the needs of the players. So if a player looks at it a day later, and they couldn't really tell whether every detailed atomic and molecular level process has been done properly, you know, until the next day, then the system doesn't have to compute any of that. All it has to do is produce something on that second day that the scientists look at it that is probably about what it would be. You see, it's moved about the right distance, you know, it's still got particles there, but it doesn't have to precisely Compute it because the scientists look at it haven't precisely computed it. Therefore, that information isn't necessary. So you see, there's a lot of, of efficiency that this system can, can have because it's a probabilistic system. It doesn't have to compute everything. It can just do some statistics. A day later, it can throw out a, you know, it can take a couple of random number, uh, you know, and produce, uh, can produce an event that is good enough. It's not necessarily perfectly what would have been there if it had done it deterministically, but it's close enough that nobody notices. And it saves the system lots and lots and lots of processing. So that's the way the whole world works, the whole even you know, even down on our day-to-day level. For things that we don't keep track of, for things that have uncertainty in them, then the system does not have to compute those to any degree that's more precise than that uncertainty, you see? So when those scientists really look at that that asteroid and those particles, it only has to reproduce something that is credible within the uncertainty of where all those particles might be. Well, the scientists know about how fast the asteroid was going and about where it's going to be, so it has to put it in about the right place But if it's a centimeter, you know, to the right or to the left or maybe a mile, you know, further, it doesn't make any difference because all that's in the noise makes no difference whatsoever. So it just starts something up that kind of looks right and we go on with that. So the system saves lots and lots of processing by using statistics where processes have uncertainty. And then that makes all the difference in the world. It's only when you... When you start from the assumption of a deterministic process where it has to process everything as it goes all the time, do you get stuck in this processing problem of you know, calculations but that uh, you make this association between the calculation density and, say, the slowing down of time? I don't think that time slows down because the system is bogged down. I don't think that's the reason why you get time dilation in the presence of a, of a large uh, mass. Um, i just say it's just part of the rule set. So, you know, that's easy to say. That's kind of a cop-out. You know, it's just part of the rule set. But, you know, the rule set is also a metaphor. You know, it's, it's the way we have to look at things. It's our way of structuring the problem so that we can talk about it. So I don't think that's the case. And the reason I think that's not the case Is that whether or not a computer is stressed in its processing, you know, whether it's getting, whether it needs to process faster than it, than it really can, you know, it's getting into the place that it's getting bogged down because of the processing demand. That comes and goes. It depends on what else is going on. It's not always going to be consistent. One day it may be able to process, you know, a thousand times faster on a particular thing than it could the day before because in the day before, it had a lot of other things going on at the same time that aren't going on today, you see. So in, in that case, they'd find this time dilation wouldn't be consistent. Sometimes it would be very small, and sometimes it would be much bigger, depending on what the system was doing and whether the system happened to be bogged down or not. And thinking that the system uh, always bogs down in exactly the same way, you know, all the time, particularly when this is a probabilistic system, just doesn't make sense to me so i've heard that argument before it makes some it makes some sense in a in a in a way of trying to show that the time dilation in a, near a big mass which has been measured that is a fact that that is a that that is a, a uh, that that exists because of um the fact that it's a it's a simulation and it's a calculation issue but I'm not real convinced that that's a real good argument. I just have a few, a few issues with it. So I don't think so. Uh, but the fact that it's, a, that that's the case is true. And that means that it's obviously part of the rule set. Now exactly what part of the rule set it is and why it needs to be that way and tracing that back to something in the digital world, I don't know. It could just be part of the rule set and there's nothing more to it than that. You know, look at the all the fundamental things in physics. We don't know where they come from. We don't really know what they are. All the fundamental things. You know, we don't know where time comes from. We don't know where mass comes from. We don't know where, you know, what spin really is. We call it spin, but that's just a metaphor. It's not really something spinning, you know. It's not a physical thing spinning. That's just what we call it because it has angular momentum, and that sounds like spin would be a good metaphor for it. So. You know, we have, you know, we have all these things, space. Where does space come from? And everything else in physics is computed from these basic things in physics. Time, space, you know, uh, mass, spin. I've probably left some of them out, but, you know, the basic things. Everything else is calculated from them, yet we have no idea where those things come from. You know, it's, it's, they're just part of the rule set you have to have a rule set that works and deals with these quantities so you make up this rule set that then begins the simulation you may tweak the rule set up so you know as you as you evolve the simulation until you finally get something that's stable in the long term but saying it's just part of the rule set though that sounds like a cop out it May just be just part of the rule set. You know, it was needed to be there in order for the whole system to be stable the way it is. So it just became part of the rule set. So that's not a very satisfying answer, but I'm not real convinced that the analog between computational density and the slowdown of time near a large mass is really the way it is. There's some good arguments there. I've heard the arguments, but I'm not too convinced yet that that's really a fact, and not just uh, something that seems to correlate some, but you know a lot of things correlate some without really being causal. You know, a lot of things that have correlations that aren't causal. So I kind of put it in that basket. In other words, you know, to sum that up, I'd say, well, I just don't know. I'm open-minded, but I'm skeptical.
1: Thanks, Tom. I I, I think you're you're right. Uh, uh, maybe I. I... And just uh, as I say, I'm not a physicist. I, I just had this, this strange idea. Just uh, uh, what I, what I thought is about not just to justify the, the gravitational effect or anything like this, but just when you have to relate uh, objects that are distance uh, distant from each other, let's say some mm-hmm. uh, one, two light years uh, from distance, that or, or even or satelliteing. Uh, around the Earth, that has to 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 do to we have to adjust the, the their clocks because they are uh, further from 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 our our planet. And I, I just thought about that 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 would be a, a good uh, assumption. But you're right. Uh, it's we, we you said that in, in in a statistical basis, if you don't have to to c- calculate all the the the, the the granular resolution of, of everything, it really doesn't doesn't really matter. Okay, and Thank you. Just right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got it. Uh, thanks. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you, Tom. You're
2: thank welcome. You're right.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you for joining us, uh, Cheryl. Please go ahead with your questions. Hello, Tom. Uh,
2: hello, Cheryl.
0: So good to see you again mm-hmm. on the screen. <laughs> um, I love your work related to the book that you haven't written yet. Um, I even went to the website and read the outline that you have there, and Mm -hmm. it it was brilliant. So as I started doing my fear, ego, anger, slash, slash primal woman work, I was shocked to find out. I was not who I thought I was. It was even more shocking to my family. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what do you say? Um, I'm an alien (laughs) imposter trying to grow up and become a loving being as you stand there. Uh, I'm having a bad day. (laughs) How can we help our family as we stop being who we think we should be and start being more honest? I just thought some tips for helping family members cope during this time would be really helpful. After the initial shock of it all, my family did adjust. And they do like the real much more honest Cheryl much better. Everyone around me is much happier now since I started being more vulnerable and more honest. And they feel like they can be more honest and vulnerable too. It feels like we're living a real life now instead of playing a part in a movie script. Just such a huge change for the better. I just thought it would be helpful, you know, for others and me too, you know, how to help your family when when the real you starts coming out and and they they don't know who that is really.
2: <laughs> okay, you make a really good you make a really good point, Cheryl. Uh, as you as you grow up and get rid of your ego, you are still, you know, and get rid of your fears and become an authentic being. You are still surrounded by people who haven't gone through that process and here you're going through the process and the people you work with the people in your family you know all the people you associate with don't even know the process exists much less you know are are ready to go through it so how do you deal with that how do you deal with being kind of the the odd one out you know that uh, you don't really fit in and you've changed and your friends and family and coworkers are wondering you know What's going on? Well, what you have to do is be aware of where all these other people are, your family and your friends, your coworkers. What does the world look like from their viewpoint? In other words, think about their, their, their reality and think about how they see you in their reality. Now they were used to working with a, With basically an image, your image, the way you presented yourself and you were presenting yourself in the way that you thought they needed you to present yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about what is that doing to them? How to, you know, that kind of cuts them loose in the sense they don't really know what to do with you now. They don't really know how to interact with you because you're acting differently. You're responding differently to the things that they're, they're saying. Well, if you're aware of that, then you can control. How, how much, how fast of the changes that you are going through do you need to show to them, you see? So it's not just a matter of, okay, I'm going through these changes and here I am, I'm a new person, and the rest of the world, you just need to deal with it, you know, because I am now authentic and you just have to deal with me the way I am. Suck it up, cupcake, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a new world today and here I am. That's kind of harsh for them. You see, that that's still all about you, you being what you want and not really caring too much about the impacts you have on other people. So what you have to do in this process is be aware of the impacts you do have on other people, that they take a little time to turn that corner. They kind of have to understand, and you need to talk with them, and you can't lay too much change on them too quickly because mm-hmm. people – People are terrified of change. They don't like change. And when they see change, they get worried. They get upset. They're wondering what's wrong. My gosh, Cheryl, what happened? Are you possessed by somebody? You're not yourself anymore, you know? it's You have to just give them enough change that to help them take a step in a direction of accepting that and interact with them. Interact with them in a very caring, loving way. And slowly let them grow to interact with the real you as opposed to the image you that they used to interact with you can talk with them you can explain it to them some people you can't explain it to them you try to explain it to them and they just won't listen it doesn't compute they won't hear you well then you have to do it other ways you just have to to show them a little bit of the new way and then just let them get used to that then show them a little bit more and let them get used to that and take it a little step further. So it's just a matter of being sensitive to other people and not just be, having it all about you being authentic. You being authentic is great, but sometimes you have to be, um, you know, kind of live in two worlds at, at the same time. You have to live in your own world where now you're becoming a very th- authentic person, but you also are a player in the worlds of these other people. And you need to, and you need to respect these other people for whatever, wherever they are, you know, wherever their, their viewpoint is, however much ego they have, however much fear is, is, is pushing them and pulling them, Mm -hmm. that is the way they are. And you just have to give them respect that that's where they are on their path at this time. They're doing the best they can. They're struggling with it and try to make that transition as gently as possible for them. And some people won't make the transition, period. They just will refuse and they will pull away from you. And maybe that's just that relationship isn't going to work very well anymore. Well, you can still be nice to them and still be kind to them and still give them a hug every once in a while and and be friendly. But you may realize that that relationship now will always just be superficial because it's just not able to become a deeper relationship because they just can't get out of the belief system that they're in. And that can be sad, particularly if that's somebody that's close to you, that can be very sad, but you just have to accept that's the way it is. You can't force people to grow up, but you still have to care for them and respect them the way they are. So it's a tricky process. It just needs to happen slowly. And sometimes it doesn't work at all. And you have to accept that too, because you can't make it work. And there's no sense, you know, (laughs) there's no sense, you know, trying to make something happen that just isn't going to happen. You can uh, keep working at it a little bit, but only gently, only gently. And it always works better. People are more able to accept change when they feel safe, when they feel that everything's okay. they can accept change when they feel threatened, like there's something wrong here. And they kind of circling the wagons and, you know, looking for the trouble and they get up, tent you know, their tents and they're uptight about it. They don't change in that mode. When they're in that mode, they're unchangeable. When they feel safe, where they feel secure and they feel like everything's going to be all right, then they can change. So then it's up to you to try to put them in that space where they feel safe and that everything's going to be okay, And then you can work on changing them. But as long as you're, if you're trying to force the issue and force them to see it, this is the way I am, damn it, you know, (laughs) deal deal with me, then that's not going to work very well. That's going to take a a longer time and it's going to create problems as you go. So that's about the best general advice I could give you about dealing with things like that. Everybody, I should, you know, almost everybody who grows up, More than the people around them has, has the same issues. You're, you're, you have family, you have friends, you have spouses, you know, you have coworkers and they just don't understand who you are and where you're coming from. And you just have to live with that and accept that and respect that they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And there's no sense slapping them or trying to force them. You just have to work with them. And eventually you feel kind of compassion for them. And when you feel that compassion, you care for them. And when they feel you caring for them, that makes them safe. And then when they feel safe, they can make changes. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of works in, in that way.
0: Uh, one of the things that I, I, I was really <laughs> – when I was being more authentic and like something would pull up something and it's like, Oh, I'm feeling this because of this. It's one of my fears. Let me go in here and think about it. Right. Instead Mm -hmm. of getting mad. That's, that was, that was my go-to. If a fear would come up, well, if I got mad at it, then it would go away. Right. Well, it it wasn't working out for me or anybody else. (laughs) And so (laughs) as I, as I stopped as I started working on the anger and getting that under control and started being more honest about, Oh, I'm feeling this way. And I'm, I'm dealing with the fear. Let me go in here. And that was the part that I felt really bad about for my family because they're going, what's wrong with you? But then I realized, you know, they're not dealing with an angry woman in their house. So that, you know, help out there anyway. Yeah. So, I I, I was just trying to get my fears and stuff worked on. I wasn't trying to change anybody because I couldn't, I needed to change me first.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) But you have to always be aware how you affect other people. Yes. take that into consideration.
0: Yes. Some of it, what was strange to me was some of the family members that I thought I was really close to, they became like a a very superficial relationship, like you said, but then Mm -hmm. other people in my family that I didn't feel as close to, we've become extremely close. So I thought that was just really odd, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think it's just because of the changes, you know, and, Um, and, and you just can't be mean to them. You just have to be nice and love them, but it does make you sad when, when that happens, not for very long. You can just feel it and move on if you want to. (laughs) Okay. Are you done? Done. Okay. Next question. Do I get two? Do we have time for
2: two? Sure. Sure. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Um, when I was young, this is a little embarrassing, but when I was young, I was not a well-defined feminine female. Um, so at Christmas I would write a letter to Santa and every year I would get the most ex- extreme feminine toys on the market. <laughs> I did not know I was bumping up against the taboo. I just thought Santa was a big red jerk. I just wanted roller skates instead of earrings and flea dresses. <laughs> this repeated Christmas trauma made me feel really bad feelings every Christmas. And over time I have to say this. I just thought it was really interesting that when I went to the immersive that you became Santa there and it was almost like, you've got a lot of fears around this. You need to work on (laughs) (laughs) anyway, back to the question. Um, So I felt bad every Christmas until I figured out that Santa wasn't this big red jerk, that, that it was other people that were being the jerk. And, And I, this repeated Christmas thing, it, the bad feelings every Christmas, and over time it seems that these feelings have created Christmas demons. Isn't it true that intense negative feelings can create a sort of energy form that now has a life of its own? I've worked very hard at getting rid of the fears around this. I have even spoken to a counselor about what I could do to help this, and even she agreed with me. She, oh, this is bad, Cheryl. <laughs> I, I read the Seth books. And Christmas demons comes the closest to explaining what I'm dealing with every Christmas. I have no other demons, just this one. Do you have any ideas on how to trap this thing like on Ghostbusters?
2: (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you a little (laughs) bit about that. Yes, if you have constant negative feelings, negative attitudes, and basically if you have fears, those fears can build and grow to the point that they create a demon for yourself. It's basically the fear creates a a thought form within your mind that exists as an entity there. And then we can call that a demon, again a metaphor, you know, a metaphorical demon, which is something that seems to to pester you and not leave you alone and, and create problem and you want it to go away, but it doesn't. The demon is just the the symbol, the metaphor for your fear. It's just your fear. You're feeling inadequate. You're feeling like you're not doing it right, or other people think you're not doing it right. And you get this stress. You know, you're getting all the little girl toys, and there's somebody trying to encourage you to be something that you're not, and it doesn't feel right. And because it doesn't feel right, you you resent the being pushed. You know, you resent the, the, the poke and the push trying to push you some into something that you're not. So that resentment then builds and you can create a a demon for yourself. To get rid of it, you have to get rid of the fear. Okay. You have to let it go. You have to look at the whole thing and accept it. It is just the way it is. People are the way they are. They will do things like that. Try to manipulate you and try to, push you into ways that they think you ought to be and you have to accept that for the most part they're not being evil trying to give you demons they're actually trying to be helpful from their viewpoint and their reality they're trying to be helpful and right. you know and you just have to realize that and then just let it go say it is what it is i don't have to fight with that but the struggle is if you feel inadequate if you feel that you're not doing it right if you have this sense of failure and you worry about what other people think of you, you know, failure in their eyes or failure in your own eyes, then that's the problem. But that's not something that they're doing to you. That's something you're doing to yourself. So you have the ability to let that demon just go by accepting the things that are the way they are. People are the way they are and not feeling negative about yourself or being inadequate. Just say, it is the way it is. I accept it. That's me. I'm okay with it. If other people have a problem with it, then they'll have to struggle with that. I'll try to be as nice and make it as gentle for them as possible, but I'm not going to not be me. (laughs) I am going to be me and uh, I'll do that with the, you know, with a, a caring for others. And that will then let the demons go. So the only thing you can do is get rid of the fear. And that fear that makes you feel bad is a fear inside of you, not really something they're doing to you. And the demon is your own creation, an embodiment of that fear. Just dismantle it. Comes around the next Christmas, just, just expect it. Say, okay, I'm going to have this issue. Now I'm just not going to let it make my choices for me. I'm not going to let it change my mood. I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm just going to set it aside and not be bothered with it. And if you have a real strong intent for that, as you know, you can get rid of those fears. You've made a lot of progress getting rid of fears, and this is just another fear.
0: It's probably one of my biggest ones. That may be why it feels like a demon. (laughs) Yeah. But I've been working on it specifically for the last three years. It is shortening in time. It's just still so intense that it's just like a waterfall that comes and sweeps me off my feet. Next thing I know, I'm uh, trying to, you know, go walk five miles so that I don't have to feel (laughs) or do something because it's just a big one. And I know that this happens to a lot of people that are like this.
2: Yeah, the big ones the big ones take time. They're not quick. You know, you may be working on this for some years, but as long as you keep working on it, you will succeed and it will go away.
0: It just may take a few years. Yes. <laughs> Those darn Christmas demons.
2: <laughs> thank <laughs> you. You're welcome.
0: I love you too.
2: <laughs> I love you too, Cheryl. You're a wonderful person.
0: Oh, thank you. Vice versa. <laughs> thank you, Cheryl. Uh, Frank, if you'd like to go ahead with your questions
3: Yes, uh, hi Donna and hi Tom. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, with regard to what Cheryl just said, uh, yeah, let me also thank you again for the UK immersive. That was really wonderful to be there with you and spend so much time with you and all those un- other wonderful people and. It was really a few days where I didn't feel the odd one out, so I can very well relate to what Cheryl just said, and um, so I got very much out of the immersive, not least thanks to thanks to that being together with so many like-minded people. So that was that was an amazing experience. Um, I've got um, two sets of questions, so uh, some sub questions to each topic, and um, the first one is about the constant stream of thoughts that well, I and probably most other people usually have in our heads. And um, that, of course, gets in the way of focusing one's intent, for example, when it's about reaching point consciousness and then trying to access NPMR. Uh, Tom, I think, if I understand correctly, you have said that the constant chatter in our minds is not caused by the avatar that we're playing, but by our low quality of consciousness. So um, about that, I have, yes, three related questions so so what is the reason actually that this constant chatter is going on in our minds is that just an expression of our fear because most of the thoughts that we get all the time are about regretting something uh, we did in the past and it, so it's a, it's about guilt or the fear of not being good enough or it's planning for the future, and I think that's linked to the fear of uncertainty and the fear of wanting to prepare the best uh, for everything. So is, is that just an expression of our fear, or is there some other mechanism going on? And so I don't know if you would like to comment on that first, or if I yeah, try- yeah, should.
2: Let's, yeah, let's just do them one at a time. It uh, doesn't tax my memory so much if we do it that way. <laughs> yes, it is an expression of fear. And we can say that another way. It's an expression of high entropy. You know, high entropy is random. High entropy is scattered. High entropy is non-structured, non-focused. And that's the way a high entropy mind works. It jumps around from thing to thing. It's constantly analyzing, assessing, uh, comparing. It's doing all these things just rather... I don't know, uh, you know, in, in no particular order, right? It's, it's, it's just high entropy. It's a high entropy consciousness is not one that's focused and not one that's settled down. So yes, it's just the nature of a high entropy consciousness to be that way.
3: Okay, great. Actually, now that you're saying it, it sounds so logical, but I never made this link between high entropy in the <laughs> sense of not, no structure, but it's, yeah, makes total sense. So, um, well, then, my speculation was that was my second question: whether, I mean, is is this the so there's not a purpose to keep us immersed in this uh, PMR reality so that to make sure that only those that are grown up enough, so fearless enough, can easily access NPMR. I mean, so so that it's not really a purpose. It's just as you just said, it's just the the reason that we have so much fear and are so high. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Right and uh so from that i would then conclude that well you you lower your entropy and at some point this whole chatter just subsides i mean it's it just goes away i've heard reports of people who said they had some sort of awakening experience and then the that chatter stopped almost entirely and but for people this seems to be at least the reports i've read about this seems to be some um something that happens you know in all at once so it's the way I understood it from others, it's not like it uh, it uh, just goes down slowly over years. But some people have just that from one day to the next, they had some sort of awakening experience, and then it was gone. So I wonder what what that might trigger. Okay,
2: okay. that happens in the margins. It is more typical that this that the noisy mind gets less and less noisy slowly over time. That's the typical experience. And typically the, the tool that one uses is meditation. Meditation is a tool where you specifically focus on keeping your mind clear of thoughts. I mean, that's your job in meditation is to keep your mind clear of thoughts. And as thoughts come in, you just gently set them aside and go back to your mantra or your breathing or whatever it is you're using as a, as a, as a meditation technique. Mostly it's a slow process. But it starts out to be very difficult. And then as you make progress, it gets easier and easier. And eventually it, you live in a lower, in a lower entropy space. You live in a, a, with a mind that is more focused and more under control. And it makes everything in your life better (laughs) because you're not so scattered and your energy's not so scattered. You can, everything works better. You know, you're better at work and you're better at home when you can get rid of all that, that noise. But occasionally it happens uh, dramatically where it just is there and then one day it's gone. Well, that is typically a person who has been gaining on the process, has been learning, has been growing up, working on, on this for a while, and then they get to some aha moment, some major change in the way they see reality. And suddenly, they see everything differently. And that happens then suddenly. But it doesn't typically happen to people just out of the blue who haven't been working on it, aren't interested. You know, they're just walking down a street, something hits them on the head, and after that, you know, their mind is perfectly clear. That is That would be rarer than rare. Those cases that happen suddenly are because the person is really getting close to being ready for that. And then there's just some little thing that triggers it and makes it all fall together. You know, often our understanding is that way. We work and work and work on trying to understand something. And then we get an epiphany and it all falls together and all the pieces of the puzzle, suddenly we know how to fit them together and we get a solution that happens rather quickly, even though we've been working on that particular puzzle, you know, for maybe years. So that does happen occasionally but it's not the it's not the main way the main way is is slowly just by working at it
3: i was on two week-long meditation retreats and there i noticed that after a few days actually also my own um, mind became much calmer and the stream of thoughts almost um, yeah came to a hold but can I conclude from that that I was really low entropy at the time? I mean, I, I don't think so. Maybe I just managed to override my uh, otherwise higher entropy. It's not that if after the end of the meditation week I would have died, then this would have been a maximum use of my <laughs> life and I would have really lowered my I, IUOC's entropy, you No,
2: know? No, it's not like that. You're you're right. It it uh, It's not that you were a low entropy being and uh, you somehow advanced You know, a great step spiritually, and then you went back. Uh, It's not that way. Learning to quiet your mind is a skill that anybody can learn. Um, It's a skill that, that is, uh, you know, that you can do that even if you're somewhat of a high entropy being. You can learn to quiet your mind. So it's not, you know, that just takes practice. It takes practice so that your mind isn't jumping around all the time. That uh, doesn't mean that you're, lower or higher entropy, but it does mean that once you quiet your mind, that now taking the next step toward becoming a low entropy being is a whole lot easier because until you get rid of all that noise, then it's kind of difficult to uh, to grow yourself if you're constantly flying around in 10 different directions at once. That makes it hard to grow. So it's a step that's required for growth, but it doesn't automatically make you grow up. Thank
3: you. I'd have a second set of questions that are somehow related, but I'd, I'd be happy to go let others go first and then come back in later, if that's okay.
2: That's okay, or you can ask them now.
3: Um, okay. Well, since they're related, um, so I uh, during the UK Immersive, somebody asked a question about Kundalini awakening. So I wasn't very mm-hmm. familiar with that, but I think you said something that uh, – intrigued me because I think you said during that process uh, there there is really an upgrade of the avatar I think if I got that right Um, so I just wondered if you could elaborate a bit on what this upgrade of the avatar, what it entails or or did I not get that right?
2: No, you get that right Um, you know the, the mind leads the body follows, the body has to support the mind so if you are a person who, let's say you complain a lot, you have a lot of fear and so on, then you will end up creating, um, let's say brain chemistry that supports that negative attitude. Okay. So your number of neurotransmitters, your serotonin levels will go down because that then supports this kind of negative attitude and negative mindset you're in. And if you can get out of that negative mindset and get into a positive space, your neurotransmitters will increase. So you can change your brain chemistry with your intent. Your intent modifies the physical system. Okay. It can work in the opposite direction somewhat. The normal way it works is mind leads, body follows. But occasionally if you can make a change in the body, that let's go of some constraints just like being in a negative mood creates physical constraints because now you have bad brain chemistry. You have a lack of neurotransmitters. Therefore you have a hard time feeling happy and positive. You know, that's depression has very low uh, number of neurotransmitters. So in you've create this physical problem. And if you work out in the opposite direction, you give somebody some uh, Prozac, which helps raise their serotonin, gives them more neurotransmitters because of a, of a pill that they swallow, and that makes them happier. Okay, so things like Prozac are prescribed for people who are mildly depressed. It helps them feel better. Well, so you have them creating a condition that then medicine can can help erase, the you know, the physical condition that they've created, which makes it easier for them to feel better but if they continue to be negative because they haven't solved any of their problems, then eventually that medicine isn't going to work very well for them. And they may, uh, you know, they will overcome that too. And their body, even with the medicine will, will uh, be unable to uh, produce enough neurotransmitters. And then they'll give them a different kind of medicine. And maybe that'll work for a little while until they learn, you know, teach their body how to overcome that too. So that their body does indeed, mirror the state of their mind, so changes to support their mind. So you can, by changing the body, you can remove constraints. You, you know, it can work in the opposite direction. That's not normal the way the process works, but it can work that way. So in the Kundalini process, if you get to a point where you are growing quickly, you've grown to a point that you, um, you need or you're ready for your body to make some changes to support your new growth. But there may be that those, those physical changes that need to take place will take place eventually over time. It may be four or five years. It may be a, you know, a longer length of time that will take and it will be a very slow process. And a, such a slow process, you may not even notice it. But it's possible that the system can come and help speed that process up it can come and make some modifications, if you will, in the physical system to the avatar that then gives the the consciousness fewer constraints. And typically, the, and that's the, that's the idea of the, of the Kundalini. Now Kundalini has, you know, has a lot of, Oh, can we say a lot of belief based things and a lot of ritual and other stuff tied to it. You know, it has to do with the, with energy uh, moving around and through the chakras and energizing the various chakras and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's all just metaphorical stuff. It's a way to describe this experience when people in a short period of time take a large step forward in their lowering their entropy. At least it seems that, that they take kind of a big step all at once. Well, that's just the system helping them get there a little sooner. They would get there anyway without it. It just may take them 3 or 4 years for the body to actually go through the changes. You don't change your body on a dime. When you change your number of neurotransmitters, you don't do that overnight. You do that over months or years. You know, it's a you have to be sullen and negative for years before it drags that, you know, changes your your brain physiology. So these are not fast things. So the system does help those people who are ready for a change to get through that that physical process change a little more quickly than it would take otherwise without the system's help, and that's really what the kundalini is about. It um, it's not really taking them any place that they couldn't get on their own. It's just speeding up the process. So what it looks like from us, from our viewpoint, it looks like somebody's just made a lot of growth all of a sudden. Well not really they've they've made the growth, and now they are getting rid of some of the constraints in their physical system that will allow them to express that more easily so that that's what's that's what's going on pretty much and and the chakras and the rest of it that's just a metaphorical explanation of what's going on, and the ener- you know it's energy and the energy circulates through the chakras well you know if you if you have a chakra system as part of your belief then you, you use that system to explain things and they use that system to explain things. And the larger conscious system can also use that system to explain things to you because that's part of the way you understand the world. Those are your metaphors. And if the system's trying to explain something to you, they'll explain it to you in terms of your own metaphors. Otherwise you won't explain it. So the system itself may give images or data or whatever to support that chakra idea because that's a system of metaphors that people understand and can use so it helps the system to be able to communicate with those people
3: so how would you uh, describe the upgrade of the avatar what what happens to the physical body according to your set of metaphors and so i guess the body would then uh, have fewer constraints on the consciousness and and what would the consciousness afterwards be able to do that it wasn't able to
2: do before? Basically what it does is it makes it easier for that person to exist at the being level and to connect with the information that is out in the consciousness system. So it can connect to the databases. It can connect to the LCS. We, you know, another metaphor for that is it can connect connect more readily with its guides. You know, it's just another metaphor for the, interface to the lcs so it just finds the connection between pmr and npmr to be more available and to be less effort and to be more natural that's the that is the step up that they feel it makes that connection easier now if what they do with that is another thing altogether. they could take that And let that uh, be a source of of, uh, ego for them. Oh, look, I got all of this, and I get this information, and I'm connected. Boy, aren't I grown up and wise and wonderful, much more than everybody else. And that could go and create a lot of ego, which would generate, you know, which would be a representation of fear at a basic level, which could just run them right back down the hill, (laughs) That they had already, you know, climbed up once. They may have to climb up that hill again. But uh, so what they do with it just depends on the individual. Some can squander it. Some can make something of it. Some can use it to grow up with. Um, it's a, it's up to the individual to make something useful out of it. It doesn't always have to be useful, and it doesn't always leave people in a better state. Sometimes people kind of push that process. By focusing their intent on having this Kundalini experience. And they make that a strong intent of theirs. They're, you know, in other words, they're pushing the system to help make that happen with their focused intent, modifying future probability. And if you push the system to that end, you may get what you wish or what you hope for before you're really ready for it. And before you're able to actually do much useful with it and you might find it a terrifying process and it may not be helpful at all. So it can be a benefit. It can be neutral or it can be a detriment. It depends on the the person and what they bring, what they bring to it. It's better not to try to push that process, but to let it happen when and if you're ready for it, then you have a good probability of being able to use it positively. If you think that that's somehow a uh, kind of a, a cheat, you know, you're going to hack the system. You're going to get there without doing the work. You're going to force that process and you're going to be better off because you're going to take a leap ahead. It doesn't work like that. You have to grow up by your choices. There's no, there's no leap ahead. And if you're not ready, even if you get that, that change in your system and you're not ready for it, it'll just as likely be a problem for you that will raise your entropy than it is something that will lower your entropy. So there is no leap ahead.
3: Mm-hmm. Can I just ask uh, one last thing to clarify? Because when you say there's an upgrade of the avatar, I still think, okay, there must be some physical change to the person's body that must somehow be detectable. Uh, or Because if you say, okay, chakras and energy are just metaphors, but is there is there something that even according to your um, Concepts and and metaphors is comparable to a physical change of the body, something in the body, or yeah,
2: there is a physical change in the body. That is correct. But as you grow up, your body changes.
3: But what is the change in the body?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know what the physiological, you know, if you had a, a, you know, somebody did tests on you, I'm not sure exactly what they would find. You know, maybe they'd find that your body makes more DMT or something. You know, I don't know what they might find. But as you grow up, as you evolve, your body constantly changes to support that. Constantly is changing. So your physiology changes according to how much you, you know, where you are with your consciousness. So your conscience grows up, your body changes to support it. Um, as you get uh, more and more caring and more and more empathetic, those parts of your brain that have to do with empathy and caring start to get bigger and have more synapses and more structure in them. You see, it, you just change. And it's not that the brain changes, which allows you to be more empathetic. It's that you become more empathetic because you're growing up, and that then causes the brain to change to support it. So these are physical changes. So there would be some physical change going on in the system that allows that easier interaction with NPMR, you see, but you have to earn it. You have to grow up to that point to use it. So if what you do is say, well, let's just, let's just take a guess. And I don't know whether this is correct, but let's just say that part of that is you get more neurotransmitters and your body makes more DMT, you know, And that's maybe one of the things that happens. So this is just an example I made up. Well, if you take pills that give you more neurotransmitters and you take the drug DMT that gives you more DMT, then you may stimulate the body to that state. But if you haven't earned it through your choices and you know in your own growth, it's not gonna help you. It's just gonna be an experience. It's gonna be a trip. Okay, now you're connected, but what you're doing in that, with that connection is still expressing the same fear, ego and belief that you always had. You see, you haven't made the choices to get rid of that fear, ego and belief. So you, now you get to express it in a bigger picture. That's not helpful. You know, it's not really helpful to be inside a bigger picture than what you are able to deal with effectively. What it tends to do is make you feel superior. Oh, I'm ahead. I've got all these talents and skills and, you know, I can remote view and heal and I'm connected. And instead of lowering your entropy and increasing your quality, it does the opposite. You start to feel special, superior, lofty, high, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, enlightened. You have all these concepts of yourself that are just masking the fear and ego and belief It's always been there. So I think that means you're in a worse state. It's even harder for you to grow up now because you've got another set of beliefs that are just the opposite of what it takes to grow up. You feel like you're already there. So that's the problem. If you if you could go in and make these changes happen, you're not going to grow up because of it. Growing up only comes from making good choices. Doesn't come from taking a drug or changing the body, but the body will change in response to your growing up. It makes physical changes. So I hope that – does that get the answer to your question? Mm -hmm. Thank
3: you. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.